Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Eli, great to have you on the show. You know, it's exciting to have uh, you guys talk about what's probably one of my favorite building materials, uh, wood products. Uh, You know, the Quebec Wood Export Bureau, you guys are up to some neat stuff. Uh, Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. Love your work. This is going to be fun. I love wood products. You know, for me, it's it's that feeling uh, that brings comfort. Concrete and metals are all wonderful building products. But for, for me, as we look at uh, wood products, wood structures, uh, there's something about them that just brings a different level of home to it. Oh, you're absolutely right. And of course, you're preaching to the choir, but I think what we're here also to share is that the uh, that warmth and that feeling are are really combined with a lot of modern materials methods. We're part of the digital trends going on, and in fact, because we're able to do so much work to the components offsite, we're also really tied up in leading the offsite and prefab construction trends that are driving a lot of change as well. So it'll be fun to get into some of the details of that. Wood is one of the best products for prefab. It's it's easy to do offsite, right? The structural design and, and capacities are, are relatively easy to put together and then transporting it makes it even easier. So it's one of the things where we talk about prefab construction that really allows for uh, preciseness, right? You, you know, you get that precise ability to look at structural component uh, exactly how it needs to be. And then you also get to have ease of transport where steel and concrete products are a little bit more difficult to do so. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I'll speak a little bit about how me, me as an American got in with a, a strong 125 group membership um, um, out of Quebec because I had a, kind of a unique work permits early on because I have a dual degree architecture and forestry that didn't really exist when when I declared it at an old school. And, and then later on, when I was in vertical practice, it was something that helped get me some cross-border permits. But you look at a place where it's freezing cold for a lot of the year and people really have a lot of um, industrialized factory um, businesses. And it was pretty obvious to me why Quebec um, grew as a place where a group of 125 manufacturers who are all cranking out buildings in their short building season with 90 and 110 day turnarounds when they get into the export markets, which they're really active in because they're, they're looking for more than their own local markets, then they form kind of a member network. They go globally. They're active with representatives like me um, on many continents, but when they come to the U S they, they asked me to help them manage the education of architects and tell their story a little bit and help them solve problems that come up when you're exporting at scale. So it's a really good nonprofit group that offers a lot of lessons. And in many of my educational moments, it actually offers a little bit of a preview of some of the changes that our industry may be hitting as we get a little more industrialized ourselves. So QWeb right? The Quebec Wood Export Bureau, that's really designed to help educate 
architects and engineers on the products that are available uh, throughout Quebec? Yeah, that's right. Because there's such a wide mix, we've got a hardwood, softwoods, flooring, even wood energy products like, like wood pellets. I handle a group that really does prefab construction systems. So I'm not, not the big commodity lumber guys, but the guys who are building an actual structure for you in Chicago, getting loaded onto a, a train, a truck, boats, and going to your job site to be pre-fit. So that's a unique subset and it makes it pretty obvious why we need to get pretty digitally sharp and work directly with teammates in a in a full virtual digital fashion. That's the thing that people aren't realizing is that what's old is new, what's new is old. You know, I, I had a, a Sears and Roebuck catalog house, right? Great example. If- that's a great example. And I had bought it from the original owner of the house and he had lived there for 70 years. And, and I was refinishing it and kind of doing it. I would take off a piece of trim and it would say on there, it would, it would say, you know, door five, part A. They came exactly to your exact details. The house was $2,500. And yep. if you want, wanted it assembled, it was another 2,500 bucks. And I th- think about that. You could, you could buy it, it'd come on a train in a pallet and every component of the house was already detailed out. And that's back in the early thirties, right? I mean, that's, you're, you're talking way back when, and uh, you know, the, the, the house back then was sitting in the middle of a field with nothing. And, you know, we've been doing that with wood products for a long time, right? And, uh, you know, it, it continues to be the product that's easy to do that with, because as we look at a structure, we can start to understand the details even better. And, and that's really where Revit and these Revit detail, these Revit models are coming up is that we can now look at every single component in the Revit model much, much easier. You know, you can see exactly how high you wanted to cut for. You can see exactly uh, the details and, and the attachment details, how you want the, the, the uh, nail pattern to be. So all that stuff really has, has changed. Uh, it, it's gotten smarter and smarter and wood, wood products are one of the ones that uh, work pretty well with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the big surprises for me, especially when I was early, my architecture colleagues were like, he works in the wood industry. I think they pictured me like building tree houses with a chisel somewhere. And they didn't know that it like in the early 2000s, I was doing software driven processes, feeding big timbers into 60 foot long robots that were cutting all of those, the the actual joinery pieces. So I think that additive manufacturing and 3D printing has sort of stolen the show, but the reality is that um, the, the timber construction industry is full of these sort of CAD CAM veteran operations that because they were in many cases owned by my joke was this sort of bearded timber framer owned it and didn't want anybody to know he was actually cutting it with a robot and not not handcrafting it anymore. But the automation has been there from the get-go. And the real fun challenge for me right now is bringing the what I would call CAD-CAM knowledge, computer-aided design and, and modeling that really is about tool paths and cutting and everything else, bringing that towards what I would call a BIM environment, which is led by Revit here in North America, we have, there are many BIM softwares, but 80, 85% of the marketplace here is using Revit. So obviously when we started a market facing product, we chose that platform to work with. We're continuing to work on 
that sort of intersection of fabrication level knowledge and design side shared modeling. I think you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about there's a little bit of ego because you know, in the past, uh, woodworkers, it was a it was a skill back then that hand work was very arduous. You had to find the right people. But today with the CNC machines, you know, we've taken some of that out of it and made it you know, a lot less expensive, a lot faster. And now you've got these beautiful projects that you don't have to have, go find that secret uh, unicorn to go build it. You're right. And I've, I was part of that trend, which was fought in many cases by the guys in the shop. I decided pretty early, I was a mid-generation guy, that I was going to embrace it as, as this is the new craft. And I watched what happened. And in those shops, the reality is you didn't want to cut 250 rafters that morning. You wanted the machine to do the heavy lifting. And you as a craftsperson actually got to carve the owner's name in the headboard and do the do the valley rafter that you really love laying out and do the craft. So there's absolutely a, a good blueprint for increased automation, increased craft, more cost-effective end results with a higher quality. And, and this isn't something I wake up and at you know, in the, in the morning, wondering if it's true. It's something that in my encore career here, I want to make it happen more broadly at, to hit as many people and buildings as possible. And, and I really want to start moving the building type up into the areas that were only dominated by steel and concrete, because we want to have some impact here. You know, the the part about uh, uh, taking the arduous, repetitive work that's mind-numbing out of it and now taking that, automating that work and taking the craftsman into the craftsman space. I think that that's the thing that we're learning about technology in our industry. That's the part to really love and embrace. A lot of people I, I hear complaints like, oh my God, you're going to take my job. Great. If machines or robots are taking your job, it, it, it was a very repetitive, mind-numbing job. You know, as we replace things in the physical world with robotic uh, support, you know, you can very quickly see how that's going to grow. And you start to look at a computer-aided design work where some of that you know, uh, work in, in BIM models can be very mind-numbing, right? Creating the BIM model, creating the the platform. Uh, I was with a group yesterday afternoon that uh, uh, their whole system is designed to take that mind-numbing BIM modeling management and automate that whole process. And I've thought to myself, there you go. There's thousands of hours saved in that mind-numbing work that truth is nobody really wants to do. You know, it becomes uh, a spot where technology really does help us out. And, you know, I, I feel like the same thing happens with with your consortium, with, with, the, with the Bureau. You know, being able to say, Hey guys, let me show you more ways of doing this. Instead of just two by fours and and four by eight sheets, let me show you the beauty and and the availability of the products we have. And then you guys have done something some something cool. You've you you have an add-on now that you have for uh, Revit. Uh, talk a little bit about that new uh, that new system. We decided we needed to do something as an industry and not just as a regional zone, but for the wood industry because we realized when you open up Revit and you try to do something like a floor, the, you know, the defaults of the industry have been built by concrete and steel, and there's not a lot of wood defaults. And then when you try and load components that are wood, you may only get a couple basic species, but you're not really getting the full regional range. So we embarked on an industry-led free project. It wasn't free to build, it's free to the user, but we needed to basically establish a catalog 
that would be available and updatable because the industry is changing so fast. And the way that that works in Revit is Revit sort of opened up a level of its own code to third-party applications. So an architecture firm who has Revit is probably going to be purchasing some some add-ons or some plugins that may may target the functionality of their practice. So that's an that's a zone called the Autodesk App Store. Usually things on there cost some pretty serious coin. It definitely costs money to build them. We built one, have it for free. That's called Offsite Wood. And any Revit user can go to the Autodesk App Store and download it. And then it'll then operate um, as an add-in to their program. And then I can describe some more about how that works once we get into that level. I, I can very quickly see how this is the start of, hey, look, this is this is an online catalog. Here's here's availability, right? I could squint my eyes right now and start to see where the future really becomes as we're designing these, understanding availability, pricing, uh, that that whole model as this continues to grow, you know, as we can design it and pick products and understand the availability of that and pricing so that our models all become in alignment. So we do that work one time and don't have to do that repetitive back and forth and back and forth uh, work that uh, is, is currently, you know, it, it's, it's I go back to mind numbing. It's so true, Anthony. And it's even worse in our young industry. I mean, what you're talking about is it's that's present in every industry. Like there's a lot of middlemen who don't want you to understand the mechanisms. And you could say that for fuel or for lumber, but really in a young industry where we're making new products that fit, that, that have regional characteristics, it's also hard for the architect to know what those characteristics are. And it's hard to optimize for cost if you're doing a lowest common denominator. So what we're offering is a way to, for the architect to really tailor a exact match to what they're doing, which is ultimately a better way to get to cost savings, direct modeling of what's ready and what's there and direct communication with producers or them having knowledge at least to allocate production to a region is all huge. And it's going to have a way bigger impact on cutting costs than commodity trading ever will. And I think that's where we're trying to be kind of the modern alternative that doesn't string the landline so everybody can have a phone, but we're going right to the cell towers here. At the end, what architects would love would love to do is be more creative, right? To take that, what why they got into architecture was, was to build beautiful environments, right? To really, to get out of the cookie cutter kind of mundane. But what happens is because of budget and schedules, we end up pushing them back into that, into that corner and then they get stuck building, you know, the lowest common denominator work and, and it becomes a little bit, passionless. They don't get to do all the great work that they want to do. Talk to me a little bit about the software. Um, the name of the software? Offsite Wood is is the name um, on the Revit App Store. And then you can also get all the same content at a nonprofit website, uh, offsitewood.org. And, but the software itself, as it loads in to your Revit environment, you will essentially be presented with, when you want to go shopping for a wood structure option. You get kind of four big shopping aisles that are not what the wood structure industry has, not how we thought of ourselves, but it's how the architect and the Revit environment work. You can have post and beam known as loadable components in that 
space where you, you have the post and beam elements that make up the core structure of your building. Then there's another aisle that holds mass timber uh, floor slabs. So horizontal assemblies that make the floors and ceilings of a building are one whole family structure that they, that can then, as you get into those, you can then sort for your criteria. And I think that's where it's important that we're providing something that's not just a massive library full of stuff you don't want or need. We're actually providing kind of a lean and efficient, continuous delivery fashion where you can filter for what you want, cut down the options, get something that's made exactly for you and that you can then load it into your project. And you could, for instance, replace the concrete slab on deck with mass timber floor slabs and give it a try. Look at it, see what it will do for your project. It's made for the architect. So it's not an engineering program. It's got the key dimensional data that your downstream engineers and life cycle and other experts need. The Revit environment is a place where the architect often starts the model, but the, the reality of BIM is that there's many players in that model as it goes down the road. So we're giving them that. The other two streams that we're working on, these are these shopping aisles I was talking about are sort of called streams and that we're, we're streaming updated content to them. We have a pretty big wood enclosure stream that handles a lot of the envelope components, everything from complex timber curtain walls down to your simple panelized wood structure components, walls, floor trusses, roof trusses. Um, and then our final stream that we're still under construction on is modular or, or volumetric in which the delivery model really matters because you're creating a full module like a giant Lego block that is coming to your job site with dimensional constraints related to over the road logistics, but then many more finishes. So that's a complex stream. We'd love to have um, more beta testers for what we're already building. I'm pretty excited about it. You just covered a whole bunch of great stuff in there. And I, I don't mean to stop. I just want to make sure people understand what you said. That last totally. stream you just talked about is probably the most impactful for this business, right? For the for, for our world, right? To be able to look at uh, wood products, pre-engineered, perfectly designed for your project and maximizing the efficiencies of each product. Right now, I think we average about somewhere between nine to 12% of every single item that ends up on a job site ends up in the trash. We're talking about new material brought to a job site. We get 12, 10 to 12% of that material ends up in a landfill, right? And what we're talking about here is being able to take products and number one, make them less expensive to travel, right? So to design the cuts and design the parts and pieces of the material that we're using uh, to transport well. And then make sure that when we get to the job site, we're, we're most efficient with it's already pre-engineered. So from the, from the truck onto the building, it happens with a lot less labor. Modular is a really big deal right now. You'll hear a lot of buzz about it. And I think it's, it's really, it hasn't quite lived up to its promise as of yet, but you're so right. The promise is 100% there to bring more and more of that craft into a factory environment and, and really make that possible to add all that value. The challenge, which is why we're glad that we're tackling it, is that it's the most intensely regional delivery model of them all. It really doesn't make sense to truck modules thousands of miles. So the model is really more like 
regional aggregation, regional hubs where the craft happens and it serves markets that are within maybe four or 500 miles. So it's the most intense of that front, but that's why it's got such potential. The problem with a modular in the past is that it's a complex uh, thought, right? To be able to take uh, pieces before you're even on site and have the vision and but with the technology that's coming up, up in this business, you know, forever, people were doing that manually, you know, these 2D drawings. Now we've really started to go that next level where BIM really changed the, the whole ability for us to, to look at a, a project that was a physical project, right? And looking at, looking at it in a digital platform, right? Taking, taking a digital world. And really converting that to a physical world, you know, you can see the the evolution of construction. And when BIM comes in, it just it makes a ninety degree turn straight up. And our ability to start to see things physically in a digital world uh, just dramatically changed. And 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 I believe as AI starts to really kick in, right, you'll be able to have those way much more complex thoughts about uh, prefabbing, uh, sizing transporting upstream a little bit more where you start to look at product availability, right? Seasons, uh, you know, conditions, uh, you know, all, all that stuff that really will uh, impact availability when we get to the project and timing and scheduling. So that that dance between the people that are cutting the trees down and the people that are putting the houses up, that dance becomes a succinct uh, process, you know? I think that's great. The dance metaphor, as a trade association, we got into this with, we don't really need to know who everybody is. We understand architects have client and privacy concerns. So we felt like it was good for us to build a tool that's not trying to harvest client data or all the other things that the sort of corporate software competitors we had were doing. And so my my dev team um, actually teased me about my dating game because it's a dance and it definitely is a place where the architect, they want to tell you they have a project, but they can't tell you their client's name. They don't want to say their site. They may be getting a permit on this. They don't want, they don't want you to have too much information. So it is a dance and it is really important that people like us can step in with clear nonprofit motives to help identify the markets that are growing, identify in a large regional and suitably anonymous fashion that there's a lot of activity around DC. We should be ready to allocate work to that zone or, and for the people on that side, they should be able to say, we want this new product. We know you have it. We know you can, you can, you can bring it if you actually invest in it, but we're here saying we'll buy this product when it's here. So so I'm definitely running a little bit of a dating game um, between the market and the producers. And I think that's, a, that's, as you say, that's a dance. That whole process right there is so time consuming and such a waste of environment. Uh, you know, the thousands and thousands of dollars are spent going through the bid process. Now, a lot of that really is in the dark because between that dance, between the owner and the architect, there's budgets in the middle, there's timing in the middle, there's availability in the middle. So as we continue to take, take that out of the darkness, I think that we'll see uh, a big transformation in much more beautiful buildings because of that. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I wish every project could be integrated, um, um, designed to 
to air this stuff out early. It's, it's not going to be the reality overnight, but the ones that we're seeing where people are working together, honestly, if the cost factor were known earlier, the design may even change to reflect something the owner really wants. Instead, you have to have empathy when somebody's like, they tried to go down a route they thought was cost savings. They designed for some dream they really couldn't afford in the first place. And then they haven't even built anything yet, but they already feel like something's getting taken away from them. It's just not a good, it's not a good psychological position to be in when before the job even starts, you're chopping value engineering. So I'm like you, I'm a total advocate for cost information up front because sometimes it disarms people. If you say, oh, this is this is going to be a smaller building than you thought, or design is going to change. You're not going to have everything on your wish list, but we're going to design something that really meets your intent and your goals. What often happens in that conversation, if it's able to happen, honestly, is somebody's like, oh, that's really cool. Thanks for meeting my budget. But what I don't see in this building is that thing I really always wanted. And that's a very different conversation than how we're going to chop 80, you know, chop 15 or 20% off of everything that I can't really afford anyway. So, um, so that, that's definitely a shared goal. It's hard to jump in with the cost. You can't jump in with cost alone though. I do have to admit that like we can't say the number for everybody. And we're suspicious of people who do say the number when they don't really know how dynamic it is. What you guys are doing right now, you can really see is the DNA for having a much more robust knowledge base of the projects that are available. Right now, everything's kind of heavily weighted to the, the easy knowns, the two by four, easy structural components that are just always there. You know, as, as we continue to look at products and understanding the products better, I could really foresee a future where mixed buildings will be able to have multiples of designs and really will be the design that drives drives it. And then all the details I want, uh, I can get much more uh, robust in my creativity because of understanding all the availability of products from around the world. I think you're totally right. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because we have what I mentioned before as two sort of polar opposites with the CAD CAM platforms of the manufacturing community and BIM, there actually is a third player here that's getting really interesting. And that's the game engines. And that you can you can load both of those detail models in. You could load detail that would choke a typical Revit model into a game engine because the sort of the computational way they manage that is to when you're running through a multiplayer game, you're only loading what's on the camera in front of you. You don't care what's in the next room. The game the game engine guys got so good at that that they're leading the visualization space and and they're carrying data in ways that I think, honestly, the rest of us could learn from. So I don't know exactly how that plays out, but I'm, see, I'm actively watching that intersection to see who's, who's got that live. Because just for instance, like the wood ceiling texture is a simple thing. Like if you're going to use a mass timber element, you probably don't want to co cover it up in drywall. At least most architects don't. So you're, you're looking for that ceiling we're able to provide with our content that's that's easily downloadable, we're able to provide this really nice texture and we're watching our architects go out and not only walk through the rooms, but do daylight calculations. They're asking us questions back about how light works in the space. They're instantly on it. 
And I think that a lot of the tools they're using are essentially um, professional grade game engine tools that are that are now now intersecting. And I, I, w- I wonder if you're seeing that in other tech aspects. Um, the game engine model is the start of being able to see that. And you're right on. We're taking that technology from another field, right? And now we're starting to apply that in the, the BIM, you know, with the BIM models, be able to walk through a building. Because if you, if you even go to BIM models today, they are very kind of basic and, and the details that it takes to really make them what it feels like, like you and I looking at each other, right? To get to the level that uh, they talk about the metaverse and be able to get to that next level, right? We're going to really need uh, technology to come in and fill in the gap between here and there that because there's so many details and it's such a heavy lift to create those models. I mean, even the BIM models today uh, take hundreds and hundreds of hours to put together. And, you know, like the software folks we were talking to yesterday have the ability to, you know, they're looking for software packages that help them take some of the, the, the repetitive work out of it, but they're coming. They're, they're coming. They're, they're coming. They absolutely very- are. They absolutely are. And the industry needs to inform those. That's our main point is we need to be there. We need to be present with the basic stuff. And then we need to be present with what we know about how these structures work and, and interact with the guys who can automate that um, on the, you know, on the technology side. Right. And I think you guys are doing what you're doing right now is the DNA that really makes that work, right? Without what you're doing now, understanding what the products are, where they're coming from, understanding you know their strength their fire resistance all, all the all the parts information the data that's needed about each of the components that's what your, your software does today now right. on the back end of that you start to see how that's the dna that makes the uh, bim model so much more robust right uh, i've got every aspect of it i can see the little details i can see the grains i understand the species my, my bet is someday you'll even have the smell in there Right, I, <laughs> it could be. Yep. Uh, something we haven't talked about with wood products, which I think is a is a big one. I don't want to miss is sustainability. Right. Yep. When we look at uh, carbon footprint and sustainability, I think you know wood products have a have a pretty neat uh, a place in that conversation. It's been a huge part of the sort of I would call it almost like a reawakening of the architecture um, profession because. They, you know, architects generally, they want to do right. They didn't want to be engineers. They want to have impact on a building. They think about material sourcing with a really high IQ. But for a lot, for a lot of years, they were just thinking about how much, how much energy is my building burning? Now, when you look at the numbers of what it really costs to make the materials that go into a building and what that's costing our ecosystem, then architects are having an incredible moment of man they can have huge impact and it's a great moment for not just wood but any any biosource building material should be really working on getting that information out to the architect right now and i mean agricultural residues anything that can replace the impact that's present i'm not going to pick on concrete anymore i think petrochemical foams are a huge part of our you know our buildings and We've seen what the cost of that is. There's a limited amount of it. We're going to watch that price spike in ways that makes lumber pricing look soft. So I think I think basically it's a biosource material sensitivity that's coming on really strong in the architecture profession. I'm really glad to be one part of that and be building tools where architects 
can get some more data because it's a big deal. And, and right now to get to your last point about it's such a big deal, but the architect in many cases doesn't have time to model things twice and compare because BIM, as you already mentioned, is some might even say it's failing to live up to its promise because it costs a lot of hours. The architect's not getting paid more to build two models and compare the alternative. That's where the industry really needs to step in and say, we can give you an estimate of this up front. That's where the AI really needs to kick in and say, we're going to try and estimate for you what you could save on this building by choosing biosourced materials. And then we're going to let you pitch that to the client, talk about it, get your cost things together. If it's in the cards for this project, you're going to build one model and it's going to be the right model and it's going to be full speed ahead so you can spend the time on the actual design. If we sat in, well, it's too complicated to make these changes or, or by the way, it's, it's, you know, BIM models are too expensive to, to, to do, you know, you're right. Breaking through to another level that really at the end is not going to have our world burned down. Yeah. It's going to take us a little bit of effort. The joy of, of, of being creative human beings, that's the joy. We want to be inspired. There's no one in this business that doesn't want to say, hey, look, I made an environmental difference by creating this. Every person I have on this podcast, they are all trying to do something neat to change the world. And it doesn't happen by sitting at home, watching TV, drinking beer. It takes stepping out there, pushing through some ideas. It takes it, it takes creativity and maybe a little bit of money too, right? It's going to take a little bit of our dollars to, to think through it, but it will catch up, right? Yeah, once- the architects are really, they're really creative and they, they will put in their own time. They're sort they're, they're pretty passionate. I mean, during the, during um, the dark days of our pandemic, I was teaching about wood structures like I always did. And all of a sudden I've got like 250 people for the seminar and people are really like soul searching and tool sharpening and getting ready when things get back to normal to build buildings they believe in. And that's rolling out like fast right now. So it's, it's, it's pretty awesome how architects are, are ready to lead that, that charge. That's, that's really fun to be part of it, but the challenge is that they don't have they don't have a ton of time. So that's where the industry doing some heavy lifting, putting things at their fingertips makes sense. And then staying involved in that dialogue so we can figure out how to get to your level, which is to automate it, to predict it, to, to go even further. I'm going to use a little example from our Carbon Fixers app. So we have a, a, a sub-project of our BIM project that's basically a carbon calculator. And we're testing how that works within the BIM environment. So how, if you gave people information on carbon footprint first, which is like you say, the DNA, it's the first step. It's the quantity of materials that they might not be modeling. It's, it's that footprint. Give them a little information on that. What do they do with it? And it's fascinating for me because I thought they would be comparing it to the evil empire and saying like, I'm going to, I'm going to compare my, my footprint to my, petrochemical foam model, but they, they didn't. They actually were like, no, I'm going to actually find some ways to use biosourced materials that I can work into my practice tomorrow. I'm going to use wood fiber insulation board on the sound deadening 
walls of that studio and I'm going to have this much of an impact and I'm going to talk to my colleagues about it. We're doing this like right now. So it's like making little changes when you give them the information and they make a little change they can implement right away. That's that's a really interesting um, feedback loop that I feel like we've been privy to just by going through the process of asking the architects what they needed and and bringing some insight to them. You know, this is this is where it starts. It starts in those little lifts. You know, the groups that we have, uh, uh, we've worked on buildings for, with car, uh, zero carbon uh, impact. And the thing we find out the most is that we don't we don't need to wait for some futuristic building thing to do to create. Truth is, everything we needed to do that was already available. It just took taking a minute and thinking about it. And that's 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 where uh, where you're making it easier to think about it, right? It not only will it change the waste on the job site, the speed on the job site, and ultimately the cost on the job yeah. site. With all of those, I get better product, I get better performance, lower impact on my environment, and ultimately it costs it costs me less money. You know, you're so right. I think bringing it back to your Sears home too, it's like the quality upgrade that you got when a craftsperson actually got a chance to learn how to turn that newel on your stair and make something that was a centerpiece of your home. And what would have happened if you would, if you had already wasted 30% of the project before it got to, to that newel and you were just trying to move in and you're telling your contractor like, well, screw the whole balustrade. Let's just bang a sheetrock wall up in there and get it done. Those decisions are heartbreaking and they happen all the time. So I think the quality message is really, is really key. If we could afford the quality that we used to have, by planning, then BIM is really achieving its full potential. And it will. It really will. I really want to get to go back in a second. And the Carbon Fixer app that you guys are coming up with, when's that coming out? Uh, it's a working beta right now. We, we are tied into the main sustainability databases because they're, they're building open source APIs just like we are. So this is an, a quiet open source project in which we're not the data experts on what the final carbon calculation number is for every material. We want to hook into out to the, the external APIs that do that. So we're plugged into EC3, little shout out to buildingtransparency.org, pretty awesome database of all materials. And what we're doing really well is we're teaching the architect how to pre-calculate what they don't draw. So you know that a Revit might be able to handle wood studs and trusses and all the details. But again, the architect shouldn't and can't draw all those. We have to have an engine that helps to calculate the 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 amount of materials within the what, what they call the non-modeled element. So this is a working application that we already have going. If you, if anybody in your user base wants to be um, involved in our closed beta or our validation phase. We'd love to hear from them. We have some great partners already. We're going to be rolling this out as a subdomain to offsitewood.org. This will be carbonfixers.org. And people can log on, save their firm-wide preferences and run scenarios really rapidly about what change might look like in, in their detail set. They can either use the reports to show their client why they want to use biosourced, or they can meet challenges that their firm may already be doing like AIA 2030 or SE 2050. Um, so we're just me meant to be an integration layer to a lot of other good work. I've, I've actually heard 
from a pretty good source that there may be as many as 50 carbon calculators being built right now, which kind of scares me. So we're trying to be the open source aggregator of other people's good work and just educate and share the info as fast as we can. The aggregate of that technology is a better planet, more beautiful designs, you know, more impactful environments to live in. And for that, look, that's that's what gets me doing this show every day. If, if you ask me why I love doing this is because I know that the future of our business, I know it, 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 we have the hardest working men and women in the world. We work our asses off in this business. And as we get the tools and techniques to make it much, much more beautiful, much, much more impactful, less and less expensive, we're all heading that way. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel that way because you were also all exhausted, right? Every, I don't know anybody in this business who isn't running 100 miles an hour every single day, right? It's, it's, the, it's the lifestyle. And we're learning, right? That, that pendulum swing. And so kudos to you and your group as the uh, carbon fixer comes out and really gets robust. I, I want to make sure we highlight that for you. Uh, you know, Eli, I, I want to make sure you and your group, what you're doing is going to change the trajectory of the env building environment. I'm proud to have you on here. If, uh, if there's anything else I could do for you or your group, uh, please, please, please let me know. I want to make sure that uh, uh, I, I sell the story and, and, and show people uh, what you and your group are doing. Thanks. Well, this is awesome, Anthony. Thank you so much for having us. And I, I did not expect such kind treatment from a from a Chicago zone. I usually I usually get my tail handed to me when I come in with wood structure to Chicago, New York, or Los Angeles. I expect you know I kind of have my have my guard up. So what you guys are doing is awesome, and we're happy to be part of it. If you want to get a hold of you and your group, uh, they want to get onto the uh, Quebec Wood Ex Export Bureau or the offsitewood.org is a good place to start with us. That'll awesome. go right to me. Yep offsitewood.org is a great That's place. Correct. Yeah. Any other places they can get you on uh, LinkedIn? Absolutely. LinkedIn. I'm, I'm there and um, available as well. So love to meet people who are uh, like yourself, bringing these things together. Hey, I have an idea for your next episode with me on it. Bring um, it. So, so, so only Anthony from Chicago might be able to bring together a hybrid uh, group to talk about the ultimate hybrid concrete steel and wood structure that might be doable in Chicago or in some other market in which people haven't worked together yet. I think that'd be a really sweet one for you to look ahead at because we're already working on those. Yeah, here I'm with you. I, I look forward to bringing as many different folks on here and talking about uh, you know material sciences and bringing groups together to create way more, way, way, way cooler designs. So uh, yeah, 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 Eli, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, so let's uh, let's start putting that group together. Thanks again for having me, Anthony. Keep up the great work. You're really getting it out there. Thank you, brother. I, I love it and look forward to having you on again. This podcast is sponsored by CDO Group, the industry leader providing a full range of construction and project management services. CDO Group has managed thousands of projects in all 50 states. Their group of experts provide systems, processes, and procedures to make sure that your projects turn over on time and on budget every single time. With over 24 years of experience, CDO Group is the industry's leader in construction management and general contracting services. To find them, go to cdogroup.com. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi, always looking for people to bring insight into the industry, finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.